Captain Drake and rocked upon the ground Suddenly a free man making up a waste of time And heading back to New Orleans on a Greyhound bus line Welcome back to another episode of the Buzzword Podcast Now, normally we always go out and about to sit down with our guests Generally over some coffee But right now, because of the lockdown, we are going online Um, This is our first in a line of conversations we have With a variety of guests from theatre and acting backgrounds Some people we've already had on before And other people will be on the podcast for the first time Now, just on a wee technical note as well is that the podcast is actually getting recorded through Zencaster. So if anyone is interested, you can go online and use the software that's provided. It is really good, it's simple to use, and it actually produces a high quality on the audio recording. And they're actually doing a deal at the moment for anyone that's interested in getting involved in podcasting. So I would advise that you go on and use them. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the interviews that we have and, and sit back and relax. Welcome back to another episode of the Buzzword Podcast, and I'm delighted to have back on as Thomas Gemmel. You are our first ever guesser on the podcast nearly, I'm going to say about th- two or three years ago. <laughs> I um, think, yeah, three years ago. Yes, about right, yeah, wow. Wow. It's, it's been three years, because <laughs> I was in my old flat at the time, right, and we yeah. hadn't even done the odd couple yet. So how have you been? How's how's life treating you this last month or two? Uh, fine, yes. Um, as as you'll know, the, the, my day job is as a teacher. So, um, teacher, like most like most teachers, um, maybe not all teachers, but like most teachers, we have been consigned to our homes as well. And I've got I've got a, a five year old as well. So um, <laughs> you're um, busy. Well, yeah, my wife and I have been juggling trying to do our work from home and uh, try to keep up with the, the amount of work that our son has from his primary school. And our daughter's 15, so she was due to be doing her um, National 5 exams around uh, mm. about now. So she's had that adjustment as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very strange. Um, I think you spend a lot of time when you're working anywhere, sometimes thinking, oh, I just wish I was home. And now we've been home for a long time and you think, I wish we could go somewhere and do something. Um, But you adjust, don't you? You adjust. And as you were saying earlier, before we started recording, it's uh, you wonder how you'll adjust back again. I think it will be a strain, I think, if suddenly you have to get up early and deal with all the morning routine that you normally have and then get back on the bus or the train or the car and go to wherever you need to be bright and early. So it's going to be a, an adjustment going back. But it's been fine. It's just, it's just a shame that when the weather suddenly turned nice, it was round about the same time that we're told to stay indoors all the time. You're also a drama teacher, so it's kind of like, it's like beyond the entertainment section getting absolutely hit by this. It's kind of like it's a double dunter because it's like it's not only just on the teaching level, sort of personal kind of level. It's like that's my livelihood in a way there that's just been eviscerated as well. It is it is difficult. It's like most teachers at the moment um because there are some teachers who are still going in and doing specific tasks um um perhaps to help some pupils who have to go to school or perhaps to maybe help out with 
um, I don't know, creating, um, putting together visors or face masks and helping out locally. So there's teachers who are going in and doing that. Um, um, I'm not particularly one of them at the moment, but um, at home, you know, we're duty bound. And obviously, as as we all are kind of conscientious um, educators, we're, we're now having to try and find ways to create resources that, that pupils can use. And yeah, I, I, I've now learned what Kahoot is. I'm a way behind the times with that. I've now I've now done Zoom call. I've done a Google Meet call. Um, it it feels. I mean, I'm 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 very tech savvy, but these are new to me. So it feels like I'm some old warhorse that's trying to learn these new tricks. Um, but it's difficult. You're trying to create resources, but a lot of the time in drama, at the very least, you are face to face with a class of people and trying to get them to be up on their feet and be imaginative and to rehearse. And it's hard to do remote resources for that. Um, but you know, you, you 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 do the best you can. There's plenty of written work that I'm trying to be imaginative as I can, as imaginative as I can, and find things on YouTube that can be watched or um, try and make the the quizzes a bit more interactive rather than just having a 10 bullet point word document and asking them to complete it. Um, so it's difficult. It's, it's very odd. And it's difficult working with young, younger children as well. So I work in the secondary sector. So you're talking 12 years and upwards and, you know, it's, you, you miss the, the face-to-face aspect. There's some pupils who really struggle with the demands of a drama course and there are some who are really into it but when you're remote then you're not there to be that person to be face to face and encourage them along and to give them pointers and what they can maybe try and do next um and it's not really something you can do remotely i think if it's still temporary i mean if if this became i don't know if this became a much more long-term situation then I think we would have to try and find even more varied solutions to try and uh, make up for any face to face that they might be missing. It was it was one of those youth prior to I was just thinking about it and I was just like, how does he deal with that? It's just it's such a complex thing. But as you say, it's temporary. So moving on from the despair of the situation, it's like <laughs> since last we saw each other, um which was was actually when we finished Odd Couple. And I was yeah. like, what have you been doing yourself since? Because I've not really had a chance to really ca- ca- catch up with you with other projects you were involved in. Um, no, no, well, the, nothing much. Um, there's been a lot of, well, since the Odd Couple, we had, what, did we move house? I think we had a house fire that wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't dangerous, but it didn't help, obviously, and... That was quite stressful. So we finally moved to the house we're in just now at the end of 2018. So we had all of that. So there wasn't really a lot of time for me to be scratching that creative itch as such. Um, And it's something I miss, um, either as an amateur performer, just getting in and trying to do something, or as someone who has directed um so uh, that kind of took a back seat because of other events that were going on it's it's just trying to find it's trying to find a project um that could be of interest um i set myself a task (laughs) 
like a New Year's resolution to go back and try and do some more writing because I dabbled with writing in the past and you've read some of my stuff yeah, and yeah. and mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's still in the back burner because when, when we spoke about that years ago now, I was like, right, I've had good feedback. I am going to now fix that play and make it the best play. I've not, not been anywhere near it since. And um, <laughs> there's, uh, there's, there's, and People who know me well will know I've been talking about this for a while, but I've been rolling an idea about in my head for a fantasy novel um, since since 2006, and um, it's still in my head. So maybe one day I will actually um, sit down and do it. It's that that thing where you think, right, we're, we're on quarantine, we're stuck in the house. We will have more time. I mean, even if you're working from home, you've got less travel time, perhaps. Okay, I will now do that thing that I've always wanted to do and you don't because life just keeps getting in the way or you've got other priorities coming up. And I think when this when the when the lockdown first started, there was a lot of stuff on social media. Yeah, let's let's learn these new things. Let's let's I don't know, learn this new language or try and acquire <laughs> this new skill. And then after a month um we're still sitting here going, what 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 day is it? What month is it? I've not, I've not learned anything. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, but, I'll look back and say I wish I had done something else. But I just don't think things have fallen out right for that, you know. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. It's like I've, I finally, like you say, you, you've been, you've written plays, I've read them, and it's always like go back and work on it more, and then see what happens with it, and eventually. It was like I saw that advertisement for the Beacon Arts Centre to hand in some written work and get face-to-face feedback. Well, there's ever a reason just to try and push yes. it a wee bit further. Yes. But the script I handed in was one that I started six years ago. <laughs> and, I, and I was kind of shocked when I realised that was six years ago that I started that mm-hmm. with just an idea. And it's changed over the six years. And I think third major draft and about five other mini drafts that I'm finally handing it in, but it's that kind of thing. I was like, right, I, I finally had the push to do it, but it's taken a long yeah. time. I think, I think you, need, you need to but admire. Even, so I was going to say, you, you need to admire people who do write um, professionally. Never mind as a hobby, because um, not only is there the, the the storytelling aspect of it, but it's the the discipline of actually sitting down and doing it and finding the time or making the time. I remember reading, oh, I think it was on Twitter. I've been on Twitter a lot. don't really like Twitter. It's a bit nasty. Yeah. Um, I was reading a comment that Neil Gaiman had written, I think, a couple of months back, mm-hmm. months ago, and apparently he said something like, um, when he was writing Coraline, um, he wrote, was it 50 words? 50 words a night just before mm-hmm. his nighttime because of the other things that were going on in his life. And you think, yeah, it's possible, but it's having, it's taking that step and and committing to and, it and committing to it because that sounds easy. That sounds easy, doesn't it? Because you probably spend more time flicking through Facebook, hoping to see something interesting, than than you would sitting down writing fifty words just before your head hit the pillow. So it's you've got to admire people that do that do do that professionally. I mean, the the, the problem for me is 
the, the story that's been kicking about in my head since 2006 um, is morphed and changed over the years, and it involves yeah. – this is not a plug because it's not written, but it involves, um, <laughs> um, uh, it involves a, a group of um, young people at different points in history who discover there is something remarkable about them, okay? And – in the time since I first came up with the idea and never put one word down on a page, I've seen so many different TV shows or I've seen books or films that riff on the same ideas. And I know, I know there isn't any original idea, aren't any original ideas left anymore, but occasionally I'll see that and think, oh, it's kind of similar to that thing I was thinking of doing. Yeah. And then you think, well, I can't, even if I did have the, the, the nerve to sit and write it now, I'd be like, well, it sounds like I'm copying a different idea, someone else's idea. So when you sit on a project for so long, I just think um, um, not only do you lose the impetus, but you just kind of might you might miss the moment. When I first when I first started writing the play, the the, the Dark Ladies that you've seen, um, I went to a workshop at a theatre with it, and I remember yeah. we, we we were sitting in our circle and we were asked to not pitch, but we were asked to briefly summarise what the play was about. And I said, well, it's it's basically about the three brides in Dracula's castle, but, you know, Dracula doesn't really appear in it. It's more about them and their lives. And halfway through speaking, one of the other participants across the room rolled her eyes in the most comical, eye-rolling manner. <laughs> and, and that's because it was round about twilight. It was round about uh, uh, true blood. It was round about that time. And it wasn't inspired by them at all it's just it just took me so long to actually write the thing that other things had came up and by that time people were like yeah see been there and done that mate um so yeah it's difficult and i wish i, I wish i did have even just for myself as a kind of personal project i wish i had the the i don't know the the resolve to sit down and do it i mean i have i have written it, parts of it over the years um but is it readable as a book? No. Maybe one day. Maybe when I retire in, well, when do we retire nowadays? In our 70s or 80s? Maybe in a couple of day, a decades' time I'll finish it. Although by the time I finish the book, time travel will probably be possible anyway. So <laughs> time travel novel is probably out of the question. I'll be like, what are you talking about, mate? What are you talking about? I time travelled last year. What are you talking about? No, I wish I did have that resolve. But, you know, you make the most of the the, the time we've got it's, it's actually quite good to to be with the family so much we've not argued that much we've actually been quite decent <laughs> you know i think we've all been quite busy watching uh, the live streams of the national theater yes um because i know i know uh, stuart watched frankenstein and i caught up with it as well yeah and you put up a post that you'd all you'd watched it as well yeah i, loved so it, yeah. I was curious and in a quick couple of minutes, like which one did you see? Did you see the Benedict Cumberbatch monster or Miller is the monster? I saw the the Benedict Cumberbatch monster, yeah, and um, I loved it. Um, I was aware of it fan. when it first came back. I mean, I, I, the the first. My wife knows some people who were really put off by the first five, ten minutes, whereas mm -hmm. me watching, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I'm going to say it, me watching a semi-naked uh, Benedict Cumberbatch rolling about the floor and making barking noises, um, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that really captivated me, and I thought I can see why people yeah. might, be, might be 
turned off by that. But to me, it just showed that this what this creature was trying to to figure out what was going express. on and I uh, express itself and figure out how to move and where was I and who am I and all of that was done with this amazing kind of physical choreography and, and not one piece of dialogue in it and that, that caught me. What I really liked, I really liked the um the the dialogue. I thought the script was really good. It was it wasn't I didn't feel it was weighed down with huge monstrous no pun intended speeches um it, it never dragged <laughs> i just thought some of the, the 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 dialogue was really was really spot on and obviously national theater and the the kind of um the, the kind of stagecraft that they show um yeah. and the, the the technology that you saw there to help tell that story was was fantastic to watch but i, I really oh, really liked it it was, and I would, it was amazing i mean afterwards i had a wee a wee google and i can't remember the figure now but there was an insane amount of light bulbs hanging above that stage as well to create that effect mm-hmm. and i just thought that you know that i've seen as as a teacher who goes down occasionally to london with the pupils i've seen a, a good few shows and a few the national theater and some come across as quite dry, quite academic, um, not necessarily engaging, especially for young teens. Um, and I'm nowhere near a young teen myself now, obviously, but I think that's the kind of show you want to take a group of young people to see because they'll see mm-hmm. they'll see money thrown at it. They'll see strong performances. You've got um, amazing stage technology and... Um, a strong script and I just thought I thought it was great I loved it Um, it it sparks the imagination of when you see a play like that because it's like what's possible and also what you can do with not just that stage the Olivier stage uh with the rotating drum but just simply with the concepts that it was working with and uh, but I've lost the train of thought there was another point I was going to make but I've totally forgotten it because I went on a roll (laughs) god damn it just to say that Johnny Lee Miller I haven't seen him as the monster but I thought he was great as Frankenstein as well I loved I loved how he did it mm-hmm. um, and I loved how the um, it's going to sound really basic but I like how the script really showed that there was there was indeed a monster on that stage but not necessarily the one that you're supposed to think it is because yes. um, the, way, the way he performed it I thought was really powerful and and no spoilers here but towards the end there were a couple of things that happened and then a couple of decisions that victor frankenstein made that you think well that's not the right thing to do and you realize that this guy is indeed obsessed and he's gone down this very strange route and um that got me and i thought actually i thought it was quite well done because it 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 became like a horror um yes uh-huh. in a slasher movie horror sense obviously but it became quite horrific and you see the extremes that he went to for his passion and the the devastation it caused and it still didn't change him 
and he still wanted to mm-hmm. pursue it. And I thought that 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 to me, I read Frankenstein many many years ago, um, but it, it it to me kind of recalled. The, you know the origins the, of the, the story. Best bits, yeah, yeah. The, the, the book. I, I thought it was a very faithful adaption. Yeah, I learned afterwards that the that that version of Frankenstein is um, you can get the rights to do it in a school, and a school oh, schools have done it. And you think, how would you do that? You know, given the given the restrictions you would have um, in a school building or a school theatre. So that would be interesting to see. You'd need very good performers, obviously, but. Um, you think well, that's interesting, but uh, moving on from that because time is always against us with the podcast. Um, I was going to actually ask you about something else that you've been doing for a wee while now, which is this blog with the uh, realanarchy.com. Yes, yes, uh, uh, you've, you've been working on retrospectives, like you've been doing the Bond retrospective, yes, uh, all the way up to Skyfall and Spectre. Yeah. And I've seen you plug a few other movies. What's that about? How did you get involved in that? I'm not a blogger by any means, um, but but I, I had used a blog when I was directing shows a few years ago um, so that I could put things appropriate to the, the performance there. And the only people who had access to it were people in the cast or people in the production team. Um, and when I stopped doing... Um, uh, when I stopped directing the shows that I was doing and then we had all the moving house issues and things, um, I thought I might start putting stuff on there just as an exercise in me trying... Well, again, I suppose I'm trying to scratch that creative itch, but in a different way. And not long after I started that, I had spotted on Twitter that there was this uh, website called Real Anarchy and um, they are run um, by a gentleman who's based in Glasgow but most of the other people are international and a couple of the main ones are in the States and it started as um, a DC Comics Mm -hmm. um, website but they kind of rebranded and tried to broaden it out a bit and they were looking for writers so I sent them some um, words that I had written and um, they were quite happy with that and the idea is that you as a a, a freelancer um, are contributing and getting experience writing for that kind of website so it's not something that's making money by any means but it's it's given me that kind of creative um push as well and it's been really interesting because I'm, I'm trying to put things on my blog as well and also write things that can be put on the real anarchy website and mm-hmm. it was, there was a passing comment about the new james bond film and I just, I just said, well, this was this was all written, so it's not face to face, obviously. And I thought, well, what if, what if we did a retrospective? And um, they were up for that. So I have spent the past year or so um, gradually working my way through all of the the main Bond films, and we don't talk about mm-hmm. never, never again. Um, and um, I timed it beautifully so that we'd be getting Spectre reviewed just the week before the original release date of No Time to Die, and uh, obviously um, world circumstances took over there, and they pushed, they pushed it to later in the year. Um, but no, that's that's been good fun uh, it's been a learning experience because writing for a website is quite different than writing an essay writing a report writing 
some stream of consciousness thing, writing a, a piece of drama, because most people nowadays are scrolling their way through things on their phone, and um, you, you do need to yeah. try and adjust and be aware that that gigantic paragraph that you love so much might just, <laughs> might end up with someone clicking the X instead of scrolling down to read more. So you have to kind of self-edit and try and find ways of of getting the point across without being too wordy. Having said that, some of the retrospectives of some of the films have pushed the <laughs> pushed the limit a little bit, but I've really enjoyed it. It's um, as I say, it's 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 another way to kind of scratch scratch that in mm-hmm. and it's just interesting it's really interesting because the people involved as i say they are kind of all across the world so we've got someone in canada someone in spain australia india a couple in america and it's really interesting um to see these connections and see what these people um like and see their writing styles as well and the the, the guys in america um john and ben they do uh a podcast as well and they are um, quite prominent and quite visible in that kind of um, uh, a vlog I suppose so that you can actually see their faces mm-hmm. and not just hear the voices and um, they, they are kind of gaining in prominence there in certain circles um, and it's really good to be involved um, and it's interesting as well because there is still an element of um, people loving their comic books and loving comic book movies and I love comic book movies. I love superhero films. I am not a comic book reader by any means. So it's interesting for me to learn a bit about other people's obsessions, whereas I can watch a, a comic book film and and give my comments on it purely as, did I think this worked as a film? I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not tainted by some of the fans that you see on social media who complain that that costume... That religious. Have, yes, that costume didn't have the right shade of yes. yellow on it, and you're like, really? Okay. <laughs> um, but that's not to... De- <laughs> that's not, it's, not to, it's not to make fun of that, because, you know, if, if, you, if you have grown up with these characters that are meaningful to you in some way, then I can understand why you might look at it and go, well, it's... You had the opportunity to make this the most awesome, respectful vision, and you didn't. So it's quite interesting for me to see that. And um, as someone who has had Twitter for many, many years but hardly ever uses it, it's also good to see what's going on in the world. And it's it's quite interesting to find out more about the movie. So it's been it's been it's been a good learning thing for me, and and, and quite enjoyable. And I've quite enjoyed putting things into my own blog, which, and again, I'm not here to tout it because nobody really reads it, and that's not me playing my tiny violin, but nobody really cares about it, and I don't really care. <laughs> I'm just quite happy to to put stuff out there so that the blog that mm-hmm. I've got a mixture of reviews and random comments and poster analysis because I also teach media and occasional random comments. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite enjoying that process. I don't know if it'll go anywhere or where it would go, but... Um, it is something that I'm kind of fixating on. Mm-hmm. It's the same as this podcast. Is the podcast isn't done to make riches. It was just yeah. an idea that I had in working with Stuart and Chris, mm-hmm. and then just bouncing it back and forth. And I was like, it doesn't. Is it will live as long as it wants to live. I keep on posting this stuff up, but it's not like I'm expecting you know, Stitcher Premium or one of the other big podcasting sites to say you're exactly what we want. It, it continues as long as we want it to continue. Yeah. And it's the same thing. And I and I remember I've seen one of the blogs, because Stuart and I have an ongoing war as to whether or not Quantum of Solace is a good Bond movie. Right, I'm ready. And go go, I, go for it. Hit me. 
I think no, I was just saying it's not. He's, well, he's, he, needs, and, he needs to talk. He needs to be spoken to. Yes. And, and I say it is one of the better Bond films, and it's probably the second best Daniel Craig Bond film because I think Spectre and Skyfall are below par and were wasteful. And the reasons why is if you ever read the original Bond books, Bond is a killer and he is quite a harsh individual when you get into the psychology of the man and quantum plays to that. And beyond one or two really bad writing issues, I actually feel that Quantum of Sauce plays more to his character than it does to just action beats. Just at the end, it seemed to run out of steam. But I think overall, it was a brilliant bond. I love it. I loved it. I mean, in, in the, the review I put on, um, I think I said something like, you know, I didn't think it was perfect. It was. I was slightly deflated because it wasn't um, Casino Royale. But there's no way it could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I did really like it, and I liked it because it was raw and gritty, and I liked yeah. the fact that they tried to make it an almost direct continuation of of the first film. And I love how it was about him still not being a proper agent yet. And in some of the reading I was doing in preparation for these reviews, there are many people who, and I, I can see the argument, who quite successfully, I think, can argue, but he was James Bond at the end of Casino Royale because he had his tuxedo and he had the big gun and he did the Bond James Bond line. And then we had the awesome James Bond theme just after it. So I can mm-hmm. see the argument that well, he technically was, but if that film takes place two days after the events of Venice, he's not. He may be getting there, but he's got something he needs to deal with first. And I love the fact that there was he was so driven through it and he was reckless. And I go off on a maybe a tangent, but I go off on a tangent. And my theory is that the, the way the film is structured reflects his behaviour and his emotional state. And the people who hate the editing in the opening sequence and I'm not a fan of it either, but the people who hate that use it as a stick to hit the film with. But my argument back to that would be that that's his, and maybe I'm trying to, maybe I'm reaching here, but my argument would be that that's his emotional, that's his emotional reaction. That's his state of mind. He is reckless. He's cutting corners. He's making mistakes. He is crashing cars. He doesn't give a damn. And yeah. the film begins to get into more of a rhythm until the last scene, which is cold, quiet, calm, collected. He's dealt with those demons. He's made the mistakes. And he's like, okay, I'm ready to come back now. And it does leave that film on a slight downer. I get that. In terms of the, the I'm going to say the words, don't laugh. In terms of his emotional journey, that works for me and I've always thought that and I hate seeing the hate for it I hate seeing people saying oh the editing's terrible and it's because of that bit at the start where that lorry has a bit of metal stick out and his door falls off and you don't see the door falling off and everybody gets angry about that and I still get angry about that because I've watched it many times and it's so choppy but the people that edited it have been editing for years and they're BAFTA and you know they're Oscar nominated editors they know what they're doing and to then say, oh, the editing's terrible, I think's a bit much. But to me, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a great. It's not without weird things happening. It's a good... um, but it's I, I just love it, and I, I I I don't know. Did you know this? 
and it's a spoiler talk. Did, did you know when the henchman gets killed in the fireball in the, the hotel at the end, the henchman with the wig, Green's henchman, just as he dies in the fireball, if you watch it closely, you see his trousers getting whipped off by the force of the explosion. Mm-hmm. And I thought someone snuck a Roger Moore joke into this film and nobody's ever really noticed it before. I don't think um, I noticed it. You wouldn't. And apparently it's been, it's not It's not a hidden thing. People have known it for years, but because I was watching it, I thought, I'm going to have a wee look at this. And there's all sorts of bizarre things about it. Um, the, the boat chase... I love the boat chase, mm-hmm. but there is no yeah, logical, is, but there's no logical reason why that that grappling hook would make the other boat flip up. Flip, yeah. <laughs> I I, I, is it... Even on the day I first, uh, what I first saw it, I thought, how does that work? It's just a hook with a rope with nothing at the end of it. How how does that work? Or, <laughs> um, or when the when the, when the bullets start flying, when they're talking to Mister Green at the start. Uh, not Mr. Green, Mr. White at the start, um, and the bullets start flying, and you've got no idea who shot who, and is M dead? Is M running away? What happened there? And that still annoys me. But I I, yeah. I reconcile it in my head by saying the editing is reflecting what it must be like to be in that situation or to be in a frame of mind where you're not calm and controlled. So the editing to me reflects that. I love the rest of it. I love mm-hmm. the music. I love the opera scene. I love the fact that... Quantum are talking through their earpieces while they're in the audience. Um, uh, I, I just, I think it's great. I think it's a great companion to the first film. Do you know actually a, fu- a funny wee insert was that um, prior to Quantum coming out, my brother and I were backpacking across Austria, and we went to Brigands, right. where that opera scene is filmed and we actually we were there we saw it uh what nothing was going on at that opera house um but we actually passed by it and we stood and looked at it and walked by it and going this is a weird kind of opera house you know we weren't too sure what it was until we found out and then later to see in bond i was like aha now it makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I finally got to see what that was all about. But that was my wee one takeaway from it. But no, it's, it's an ongoing future, and I have we have argued it shamelessly for years now, ever since. And I and I hold to it. So it's good to know there's somebody else out there that stands with me on it. I think but, it um, depends on your view of what makes Bond a Bond film. If if what makes Bond, if Bond to you, yeah. Yeah, if, if Bond to you is um, cheeky quips and raising an eyebrow and um, flary trousers, then Roger Moore is your Bond, and that's the Bond I grew up with. Um, <laughs> um, if, if you want a big, a big, uh, tough Scottish guy who doesn't change his accent but pretends he's English, um, and you like the kind of the the kind of animal that Connery's Bond was, you'll like that. So it just depends on what your favourite Bond is. My favourite Bond is is Brosnan. Um, because well, that, that was going to be my question. That mm-hmm. was my next question. Give me your best Bond. I think my, my favourite is Pierce Brosnan. I just, I loved, I loved the films he was in and apart from Die Another Day, but we don't talk about that. Mm. Um, I loved no. the films he was in. I loved what he did. I think he got the, the, the balance of being that slick operator but he was given moments of brutality and moments of emotion and um i'd like to have seen more of that i think as i've watched these bond i think i've realized i prefer the bond films where they are kind of rougher where they are kind of personal you know i like from russia with love i like 
on Her Majesty's Secret Service for Your Eyes Only, um, License to Kill. They are all about yeah. Bond up against Perf- it. Bond and yeah, and that that is me. And other people might be like, yeah, I don't care for them. I want to see a giant space station getting blown up. You know, I want to see... <laughs> no, I, I want to see a guy I, with metal teeth, all... you know? So... No, I'm, I'm the same. I, I like my I like I like my Bond gritty. I'm a I am definitely a Timothy Dalton Bond, um, uh-huh. especially licensed to kill because yeah. when Dalton looked at you, I was like, he's gonna kill you. You know, you could find all the good ones and then argue that the more films they did, the less um interesting they got. So it just yes. depends. But Stuart's wrong. No, no, no. Please, please make sure you tell Stuart that he's wrong, right? <laughs> uh, don't worry, worry. I'll tell him. Uh, I will put it. I'll put it to him. I think we've covered everything. But other than that, sir, um, I'm just going to ask: Is like, is there anything on the future? I know we kind of went over it a wee bit, but is there any plays out there you would love to do, or, or you've got like a hankering for before we finish um, up? Is there anything I, on the calendar? There's nothing planned. No. Um, there was not. There's nothing really planned anyway because of what's going on just now. But there's nothing what's planned. On, yes. um, but if, um, if I don't know, um, I don't really have that passion project. Um, I was um, when we did theater fusion years ago. We had our own wee group, and we did a few things that we were keen to do. Um, and then even directing musicals, I've been lucky in the in the past ten years. A few of them have been some of my favourites or became one of my favourites. So I've been quite lucky like that. Um, I, I like the process. I like the challenge. I like the challenge. Um, I, I, maybe you would perhaps understand it as well. I, I love the idea of taking a script and then trying to figure out how on earth to bring this to life. Um, <laughs> get a Frankenstein reference there that I didn't even intend, but it's like, how do I bring this script to life? How do I, how do I decode it? How do I try and find a way to explain this to technical teams and actors and get their input and try and build a team to put this on and yet at the same time tick the boxes that need to be ticked in terms of hopefully selling tickets and keeping everybody happy. I love that process and I like the challenge of it and I love standing back when you've got that finished product and hopefully seeing the performers enjoy it and seeing the audience enjoying it and you think, well, I took, I had one little part in that or maybe a slightly bigger part, but I had a part in that process. So I, I love that process. Mm-hmm. I love that challenge um, of getting the script for the first time and saying, right, how how do we begin? And um, I'm, I'm, I'm keen to get back in doing that at some point in the future, but there's nothing planned for the moment. Apart from watching Spectre, I've not got around to Spectre yet, so I need to watch <laughs> Spectre. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of delaying it, but, you know, I'll get there eventually. And doing my, my, my wee blog and stuff and just family things so um i think when things are back to normal i'll be um trying to find something else to do because as you say I, ke- I keep talking about having a niche which is a bit alarming the more i say it but i've still got that creative <laughs> and, um, uh, hey, I, well, I think we all have that itch and yeah. i was I, you know it's like we keep on bringing it up but that i still have an itch to go back and do Glen Gary, Glen Ross again with the exact same cast. Oh yes, I'm there. I'm there already because I love that play. Yeah. Ever so often, you know, we think, "What's next? What next?" And we both kind of look at each other and we're just like, 
I'd go back and do Glengarry, Glen Ross in a heartbeat. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, me too. I'd have the same cast and I would just do it all over again because it was so good and we had such a blast making it. And now we know more. And it's like, so we can just make it even better. And it's like, of all the plays out there, we just want to keep on pulling back to this one moment in time. But it's like, there is, there's so much more out there. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's like, you've always got these other plays you think, I'd love to have a crack at that. But yeah, I've still got this pull to go back and do Glengarry again because I can do Glengarry again. I don't know why, but I've got that. I've still got that itch to go back and do it again. I think it's, so you it's, never know. It's one of those plays that, if if it's your thing and it's not everybody's thing, you know, content wise, uh-huh. language wise, even story wise, if if you're if you're into watching story, I don't think Glengarry's for you. Because there's not a huge amount, and that's not a criticism. It's about how these guys react to each other under the pressure. And if you love the di- that kind of dialogue, and you and you like hopefully seeing performances that are respecting that, you can get really caught up in it. And it's just one of those plays that just struck a chord back in the eighties. And I've I I've still got my waistcoat that Williamson wore. And <laughs> I wear it. I've started wearing it when I go to school now. I'm the guy in the waistcoat. So do you know what? I'm I'm a living Williamson nowadays. So um, yeah, just give me a call. Same with the leads, dude. Well, I know. I know. Hey, listen. I've just got to get David Mamet back on the case and and let him release the play so that we can do it again. Right. Um, it's it's been four years. I think it's due for a revival, but uh, we will see. But I can't. I can't thank you enough for coming back on. I really appreciate it. Oh, Brian, thank you for having me. It was a good chat. No, it was a, it's been a great chat and it was good to speak to you and hopefully I'll catch up with you sooner and you. later. Well, all the best to you. I hope you have a good summer, however it pans out and hopefully see you soon. You too, sir. Thanks very much. Cheers. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, well, that's that for another week. We'll be back with some more caffeinated conversation a wee bit later. Until then, I hope everyone takes care. You can follow us on our website, www.thebuzzword.org, and you'll find all the links that we're talking about with Thomas with regarding his blog on realanarchy.com and also his own personal blog. Plus, you can visit the website to look at all the old episodes that we've done over the last couple of years. And you can also find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Please get in touch if you'd like to be involved in the podcast or come and talk about anything any projects that you've got running at the time and hopefully we'll hear from you soon take care It's unprecedented times, and I think the good thing that will come out of this particular situation is we will have had a dry run for when the bad diseases happen next time or when there's only COVID. <laughs> and then we can say, well, well, we had a dry run. I mean, I'm not to make fun of this.